Hello, everyone. This is your host, Jeremy. Um, jumping in before the official podcast start, um, with kind of a little special message. Um, as you know, generally, uh, my podcast does not deal with current events. The What Do You Like podcast that you're listening now. Um, it's it's an evergreen podcast where I just have conversations with people with things that they like. Um, and with that is a lot of times I will bank a bunch of episodes together um, so that I can make sure that I always have a podcast to be released on Tuesday, um, no matter how busy I get. Uh, but with that is I don't get to talk about major current events that happen, and most of the time I'd that's not this what this platform's about, but uh, with uh, some of the things that have happened this past week, um, I kind of felt moved to have this little intro. Um, with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Supreme Court Justice, um, we lost a person who both sides of the aisle uh, agrees was an amazing person and did amazing things for uh, women's rights. Um, and then human rights in general. Um, she's definitely a a voice uh, to keep everyone in check, and everyone on the Supreme Court uh, viewed her as a, a great friend um, and with great respect. Um, and I think that's that's important to remember um, as we kind of move on into what has happened in the immediate aftermath of her death, um, with her passing within an hour. Mitch Mitch McConnell has come out and said that he's going to force through a nominational nomination vote for someone to take over for Ruth Bader Ginsburg before the election. Basically, um, what this means is that he is going to force through someone onto the Supreme Court um, that maybe does not reflect what the American people want. Um, he's abusing his power to do this in complete con- contradiction to what he said four years ago when a Supreme Court justice passed away in the last year of a president's term, um, saying that it should be up to the American people to decide. So this is this is for me calling on everyone. Please hold your elected officials accountable and vote. Make sure you're out there voting. Um not just for president, but for senator, House of representatives, local officials. I mean, vote. It, I, this is something I need to get better at, but research local judges that are on the ballot. Um, learn about their case. Um, do your research because it's becoming more apparent now than ever. This stuff is, this greatly affects uh, your life personally and the lives of your fellow community members. Um, and at some point, it seems we've forgotten the role of government is to take care of its people, and no longer is the government really taking care of a majority of its people. Um, and the only way that we can, we have any recourse, is through the ballot box. Um, also, I want to encourage everyone, do not look at your fellow human beings in your community and immediately label them with a political party or a political leaning. Look at them as a human being, engage with them as a human being. Uh, I think that's the most important 
thing to do. I mean, we're not going to always agree on things, um, but we need to start having conversations to understand what things we can disagree on and what things we, we just can't. Uh, the biggest thing, like we, you see on the internet, like I can disagree on like what type of pizza you like, but I can't disagree with you. Like we can't just disagree if your understanding of what a human being is, is different than mine. Um, and through those disagreements, we need to have conversations. We need to get on the same page. We need to relate to each other as human beings, because that's what we all are. And we're living on a fragile planet as we discussed last week um our planet's going through some some rough times right now a lot of it because of us and we need to we need to make a change and i don't know if i don't know if this is the if i'm talking to the right people um but i just felt like with with my my small platform i just need to say something um feel free to reach out to me directly if you have any questions i'm always up for a discussion but make sure it's a discussion Uh, i think we are quick to start to have arguments and arguments are set aside for the courtroom if you're dealing with someone else it should be discussion there should be listening to what they're saying and when they say something that's challenging to you don't necessarily take it as a direct attack on you think about it to challenge your ideas. Um, and if you're going to say something that's challenging someone else, be prepared to be challenged back. And I think through those tough conversations is where we're actually going to make progress. Um, I still have hope for the American people and the, the human race as a whole. Um, and I hope that you are hopeful too. Um, we can definitely do this. We're already dealing with a tough time. 2020 has sucked. Uh, I think that objectively is a true statement. Um, but I just ask that you, we stay together and do what we can. Um, with that, we'll go ahead and start the podcast for this week, um, with my good friend, Tom. Cue the music. Hi, my name's Tom and I like Hiroki Murakami novels. Welcome to What Do You Like, the podcast where we get to know a person through their passions and hobbies. Today, we are joined with a good friend of mine, someone I've known since college. Um, We were on a community service trip together, and that's where we kind of got to know each other and really bonded. Um, I've known each other ever since. Uh, He is a public school teacher currently and has previously taught in South Korea. Um, so he's a world-traveled inter- individual. Um, as we're speaking, he just got back from Colorado. So he definitely gets around, even in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I really want to welcome Tom Felson. How's it going, Tom? Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, when you contacted me last week about you know coming on your show, I thought, what a really cool idea. And uh, I'm honored to be on. Thanks. Oh, well, I'm honored to have you join us. Um, 
again, since you, I'm interviewing you before any of these get released, uh, you should know we're going to dive into your passion. We're going to get to know you as a person through your passion. And your passion, I have to say, is the most unique one we've talked about so far on the, the long history of the seven episodes so far. Murakami novels. Now, I'm sure everyone out there knows everything about Hiroki Murakami. Oh, that's see, correct. See, I'm an expert now, too. Um, but I'm sure that you're going to be able to enlighten us the, the little bit we don't know. Uh, but Hiroki Murakami, how did you get to know this author? Where did, the, where did he enter your life? Uh, so I'll go into a little bit first about uh, who Hiroki Murakami is. He is a contemporary uh, Japanese author. Uh, his genres that he writes, uh, they deal in surrealism, uh, fiction, historical fiction, fantasy, postmodernism. Um, he is a celebrated novelist uh, that has had over uh, 21 of his books translated into English, and as well as some of his previous works uh, have been translated into also over 50 languages. Um, to your question about how I arrived at, um, you know, being immersed in this world of Murakami novels, um, when you brought up me studying abroad, or uh, teaching abroad in South Korea, uh, just the kind of um, mismatch of so many different people from different corners of the world that you met traveling, uh, working in different countries, expats, uh, people who were away from home, people who you know, found communities in different countries, found communities, they found creature comforts, uh, you know, people bonded over live music, people bonded over drinking, people bonded over um, eating and dining out. And, uh, you know, that was certainly celebrated in, you know, traveling, meeting people, um, and, you know, you know, sharing stories from home, you know, what made you think of home? What, you know, what in your downtime, you know, brought you to a, you know, a, a place of peace and serenity and, you know, people, the more people I talked about, or I talked to, you know, they were, you know, who are you reading? You know, who are you, you know, who are you reading now? And this one author, Hiroki Murakami, kept coming up. And I think it's not coincidental that many people that I met, you know, desired to travel, to experience life, to really kind of grab life by the horns and seize it. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that you know, so many of those people that were driven to travel, to, you know, be outside their comfort zone are gravitating uh, towards Hiroki Murakami novels. Um, That's very interesting. So, I mean, it almost, it, it's almost like this, this idea of wonderless is drawn to this, like, fantastical writing. But what's really interesting is he's a Japanese writer. And I mean, Americans are not the, I mean, we are very used to everything be kind of being catered to us. Um, what about what, when you were in South Korea, is it just the fact that he's bigger in South Korea that you were exposed to him? Or do you think there are pockets in America that he kind of has a, a big following with? 
You know, I think the geographical closeness to, you know, being in Asia and just being outside of the sphere of Western influence, I think that certainly was part of it. Um, you know, Americans, I feel like we have a really hard time with understanding, you know, different perspectives. Um, and, you know, a Japanese contemporary author that he's, you know, well influenced by Western uh, authors. He, uh, when you read his books, you know, one kind of stylistic choice that is very particular to him is he, he paints very vivid pictures in very descriptive language uh, when it comes to food. And he's very particular about many uh, Russian literature influences, uh, as well as uh, contemporary, you know, musical tastes uh, coming from, you know, Western countries, you know, circa the 1970s, the 1980s. Um, and so, you know, those, you know, particularity, those particular elements of his writing really create super rich environments uh, for the protagonists. And they're almost kind of like a, a side piece to the entire, um, you know, story going on in each particular novel. So, I mean, he is just so descriptive, uh, like I said, when it comes to the food and the music, and it, it just creates such a, an environment for readers to be immersed in. Um, and it really gives, you know, people that are unfamiliar with Japanese um, society and geography, and it really paints a very rich picture for the readers. So that really brings up this... Uh this idea of like almost escapism into this like magical world with like really descriptive items. I really want to kind of dive into when you were a child, were you always like a big reader? Was a uh, literature a way for you to escape and kind of enter new worlds? Uh, as a kid, first and foremost, I was very interested in goosebumps. I have the collection to this day. Uh, the covers really got me. Um, but to your question, you know, did I really use reading as a way to escape? Um, and you know, I did. Um, I think in middle school, having had a congenital disorder that uh, essentially left me unable to play sports uh, in seventh and eighth grade for the better chunk of those two years, uh, I really turned to reading and, you know, as a way to, you know, escape everyday adolescence. Um, I was an avid reader when it came to the Lord of the Rings and the J.R.R. Tolkien uh, novel, The Hobbit. I was really big into the Harry Potter series uh, a little bit earlier than that and throughout adolescence. And, you know, I think, whether it was in, in, in reading, it was in uh, television, whether it was in movies. I also grew up really enjoying science fiction um, and just those fantasy elements of, you know, beyond the everyday experience, uh, you know, what is, you know, what are those creatures lurking underneath the sewer caps, um, which is a reference to one of the Murakami novels. Uh, you know, the, the fantasy elements that, you know, kind of keep you daydreaming a little bit and kind of just wondering what's beyond the realm. 
kind of really, it really grabbed me and it really, I think shaped my, you know, interests and it really kind of shaped um, my, my curiosities. So. Gotcha. So it's very much like opening up. It's not so much you're escaping this world. It's these books are opening up to see the world differently. Absolutely. And, uh, I think he, uh, Murakami creates very in-depth, uh, narratives, but also environments that, you know, very much look like our own worlds in our everyday experience. And, you know, they take place in modern day Japan, you know, 1970s. And so the environment, you know, paints a very historical picture on one end, but also coming from a different country, you know, it, it leads an escape from where we're from for the reader, maybe, you know, if we're reading here from the United States into what it would look like into, you know, a window into Japanese culture, uh, a window into uh, their hierarchies, their, you know, dating relationships, their, you know, family relationships, their family ties. Um, it uh, One of his novels, uh, one of the more recent ones I wrote, uh, read, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, um, delves into uh, historical uh, fiction, but also brings in real-world elements of like Japanese occupation of Manchuria in northern China. Um, and, you know, just really, really paints very, you know, vivid pictures and tells very gripping stories that kind of interweave a lot of these different elements together. Gotcha. I think that that's kind of the magic of historical fiction in that, I mean, you can, you can read something like Lord of the Rings and it's an amazing book series, but it, it very much is, oh, that's a fantasy world. But when you kind of build into historical fiction, you're looking at the world that you know. And what you're doing is you're kind of placing a fictional person in there to live in that world. Uh, so when you were in South Korea, I, I, this is, I'm just wondering, did you kind of feel like I'm in a completely new place? Did you kind of like embody maybe a character in one of these environments where you're almost living a historical fiction? book certainly uh with how homogenous the country is uh, as a westerner going there to visit to travel to work uh you do feel immediately out of a fish out of water and you know having stayed there two years myself i mean i got you know it was very comfortable you know once i was able to you know find community find friendship uh you know kind of be able to appreciate a different way, a different culture, a different way to, you know, live, but also, you know, understand where, you know, your, you, where your, uh, your connection to that comes from. And, you know, it was a very enriching experience. I mean, the cultural exchange, you know, I still maintain relationships with several Korean friends that I made over there. Um, and it was just, you know, a very, a very incredible experience to kind of put myself out there and kind of just reap a lot of the rewards that came with travel, with, you know, intercultural exchange, you know, with just 
seeing how a different education system uh, is in comparison to the United States and to see, you know, it shed, a, it shed a new perspective on what it meant to, you know, teach a whole child or to meet certain emotional needs or to, you know, really lean into academics. And, um, and I think I wouldn't give that experience away for anything. So it was, it truly, you know, shaped me who I am today. And then, so like these, these books are almost, I mean, they're almost like a, a way you can still connect to that time almost because they were something that very much you fell in love with in that environment. So would you say that they, they are like, I don't want to say a time capsule, but like something that you can always kind of link to, to that magical time where you're studying abroad? Uh, you know, I think there's a certain comfort um, in reading these novels. And, you know, the, so the way that I arrived to Murakami novels and just understanding who he was, and this it has a lot of correlations to, you know, my uh, interests of, you know, he was an ordinary guy, I believe at the age of 29 in the late 70s, um, living in Tokyo, and he was attending a baseball game, and there was an American hitter who came up to bat, and he hit it, he laced a double down the left field line or something, and he was immediately inspired, like a momentary, uh, a momentary feeling that gave him inspiration to write his first novel. And, you know, he characterizes it as, you know, he had never created anything beforehand. You know, he was, he was not creative. He did not, you know, grow up seeking to put something out into the world like that. And he, you know, put his nose down and wrote a novel in 10 months and uh, won a literary award for long form fiction. Um, and his first three novels uh, commonly referred to as the Trilogy of the Rat. Um, they center on an unnamed uh, protagonist with his friendship with this character, the rat. And uh, the trilogy really, really creates a really rich arc for these characters. And it, it culminates in the third book, um, A Wild Sheep, Sheep Chase, that is so illuminating when it comes to just a, a well paced adventure tale that just it grips you from the the morning the the time you start reading it and it it work it functions as a standalone novel you do not need the context of the previous two novels to appreciate how good of a, a good novel it is but for just those in-depth character uh interactions in the book i mean the first two really really create just this this really incredible universe and you know, to kind of wrap it back around to your question, you know, it does remind me of a time or place. And I think in me choosing to read these novels, I said, you know what, I'm going to start from the very beginning. I'm going to read them in order in which he has written these books. And he's got, he has over 21 translated into English and I'm about almost halfway through. Um, and this is something that I, you know, I told myself that I would do over the course of a long time. I mean, it's been um, about five and a half years since I've been back from South Korea, uh, back from traveling in Southeast Asia. And, you know, I said, you know what, I'm, 
you know, going to take my time with these novels. I'm going to, you know, read other books in between, but, you know, I'm going to stay the course and, you know, read his entire uh, authorship that he's written. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I come back to certain novels that I've written, that I've read so far uh, and certain elements of it because they're, they're timeless. They're timeless classics. They, you know, allow you to kind of, you know, set aside what you have going on. And I think the best books and programs do that for you. They kind of, you know, allow you to kind of jump into, you know, someone else's shoes and jump into a different, you know, element that, you know, allows you to enrich and immerse yourself. Um, and I think that's really, really something to be said for in today's day and age. So what I'm gathering is that you're, you're not only jumping into the shoes of the characters in the book, but you're almost jumping into the shoes of Murakami himself and like kind of going through his development as an author by reading them in order. And another thing that really strikes me is, as I know you personally, you're also very passionate about baseball. And the fact that his entire writing career was, was sparked by a single baseball pitch or hit um, I think had to have spoken to you on a deeper level. Yeah. You know, I, I see those parallels and as you know, I am just such a, an avid fan for baseball and in everything that it encompasses. And, you know, one thing that, you know, I certainly appreciated about my experience in South Korea was, you know, Asia, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, I mean, these countries have such, such loyal followings for their baseball teams and their baseball leagues. And, you know, I attended several games in Korea um, with the local hometown Daejeon Eagles and um, Hanoi Eagles, that is. And uh, in traveling to Japan, I was able to attend a baseball game, not in the Tokyo Dome, but in another stadium in Tokyo. And to just see fans, it doesn't matter, win or losing, to see fans on their feet for three and a half hours each game chanting different chants for individual players. Um, it, there is just such a, an incredible culture to baseball that is so enriching in Asia in South Korea, in Japan, in the following is just so, uh, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. And I think the baseball parallels are pretty incredible with how he started his career. And, um, and I think it's very inspiring to just say that here was just this guy, nothing too, you know, particular about him. You know, at first glance, he was running a jazz club and famously, he, you know, includes that detail uh, in one of his protagonist's backgrounds in one of his novels um, as, you know, running a jazz club. And, you know, it's just a momentary strike of inspiration. And here he is, you know, 30, 30 years later, still writing novels. I mean, his most recent novel came out two years ago, uh, Killing Commodore. And, um, you know, I look forward to reading it uh, at the end of the line. So. Gotcha. I think it has to be exciting because he is a contemporary art or author that his work's not done. So like while you're kind of taking the slow approach going over his entire works, there's no end date 
even if you were to like speed up, like at some point, I mean, knock on wood, he continues writing for a while. You always have these, these, these other books that are coming out. Um, is that another thing that kind of draws you to him? The fact that he is contemporary and that he is writing in a world that you're familiar with. Yeah. And you know, just the characters in which he relates and he, you know, fleshes out in detail. Um, and just a little bit about his, you know, I guess, overarching career as an author. Uh, and these are from his words. He will say that in his earlier works, he was dealing with a lot of, I wouldn't say personally, but his protagonists, and that could always be a reflection of the author, was dealing in a lot of individual darkness. Um, and, you know, and I think as a certain, in a certain adolescent, young adult, uh, experience everyone kind of relates to that you know your uh, inner demons and how you know you, you work through those kind of things um, but as he you know more matured into a confident author um, you know he painted really rich uh, detail when it came to uh, sexuality and loss in a novel called Norwegian Wood um, that really put him in the map in the late eighties uh, in terms of contemporary authors and made him very popular. And it just, and I'm reading that novel, it wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but the drama and the conflict that is written in his female characters are so very strong uh, that it, it just kind of took it to a new level, his writing. Um, but as he, you know, continued his novels, you know, five, six, seven novels in, uh, he kind of, he, he changed direction from focusing on individuals to more societal darkness and societal issues. And, um, and it actually led him to write his first uh in, into his first foray of nonfiction, um, surrounded by the earthquake that happened in Japan, as well as a subway gas attack. Um, and I've not, you know, gotten to those novels yet, and I'm curious to see his his literature style, how it translates to uh, nonfiction. Yeah, I mean, from what you've told me today, uh, it sounds like he's someone that could definitely kind of adapt to that because it's not like he's creating this magical, fantastical world. He's writing in, in the current world and in, in his current environment. Um, so, I mean, I look forward to talking to you again once you get to that and you can tell me for sure. Absolutely. Uh, but may, I mean, maybe this will be a, a good time to when you finished all of his books to have you back on, you can kind of give a summary of, of everything. Uh, but I really want to dive into how, cause obviously you're eight books in, uh, how has kind of discovering Murakami and reading his books, how do you feel it has changed you as a person? Um, I think there's a lot of relatability to his protagonists. 
Um, like I was mentioning earlier, just the, the everyday mundane averageness that maybe some of us may feel at any given time or place in our lives. Um, his, his protagonists are super relatable and something I've learned is not to be apathetic. Um, uh, whether it was learning the lessons from many of his protagonists in his early work, you know, being apathetic, uh, it didn't get them many places or it left them unhappy or searching for something that they didn't know they needed. Um, and, you know, and, you know, certain, you know, rough stretches, it, you may feel at times like giving up or just that, you know, apathy, you know, the apathy sets in that, you know, you're indifferent to the way you lead your life. And I think if anything that, you know, extraordinary things can happen to average people. And, uh, half of that is always going to be, you know, what did you do to make best of a situation or what did you do to change an outcome that, you know, you were unhappy about. So that's one thing I learned, I think. I think that's really important, especially nowadays. I think we're, we're in an environment again, this is being recorded in the COVID times. So those listening many years in the future, um, I think this is a time where we should be reflecting and, and, and not having an apathetic view of everyone else, I think would really help in this pandemic. I think a lot of people are very apathetic about other people's needs and more focused on themselves and not really thinking about the bigger picture. Um, so I think that's, that's a great lesson to take from this. And I think it prepared you even more for, this pandemic and the, the world we live in now. Um, and as, as a, an educator, I mean, obviously that had to affect your teaching style. What, how is your, has your teaching changed since you've kind of experienced Murakami? Um, and, you know, as a public school teacher for, you know, young readers um, or for young people, it's just, it's getting that, it's getting people to engage in, in, in reading that, that grips them. And that's, it's just finding the different ways in which people can arrive to books that will grab them. Um, and in today's, you know, world with just so many different distractions that, you know, are always uh, fighting for our time for young people, you know, they gravitate often to, you know, video games and, um, you know, other sports and esports and other things. And I think the feeling that a person can get, no matter what age you are, from reading a book that grabs you, it's incalculable, it's in unmeasurable, it's an experience unlike any other that, you know, can let you give you those feelings of escape, can give you those feelings of solace um, in times of turmoil. It can give you you know, it, it gives you so much and allows for you to, a gateway into a new world. And I think when it comes to my teaching philosophy and things that, you know, I have enjoyed, and I think it's just sharing those passions and to say that, hey, you know, boys and girls, like this is something that grabbed me. This is something that grabbed me when I was your age. 
you know, Goosebumps series, um, Harry Potter, and, you know, these stories, you know, really, you know, at the end of the day formed who I was uh, and the lessons learned and, you know, the stories and the, the lessons drawn. And, and I think it, it builds adversity, it builds uh, stamina, it builds a lot of, it builds a lot of momentum for you as a, you know, well-rounded individual. So I think that, you know, I think it's sharing passions. I think just like anyone who would ever ask, like, hey, what a recommendation, you know, would you have? Like, hey, I'd, you know, gladly sit at a coffee shop for an hour and tell you about my favorite Murakami novels. Like I wish we were doing right now, recording this podcast. Um, but one day, one day, huh? I, I will say I'm heavily caffeinated right now, so it's almost like we're sitting at a coffee shop. <laughs> um, but I think, I think you really touched on it. And you basically said it. Like the whole idea with this podcast and what I was hoping to get out of it is like to understanding people's passions. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Like your goal as an educator is to share your passion for literature with your students. And that's 99% of the battle. Like, cause, and again, I, I've mentioned on previous podcasts, I've had teachers who you could tell like were there for a paycheck. Like they went through school and then it was too difficult to change careers. So they just kind of went like went with the flow. But there are those teachers you could tell were passionate about what they were teaching and passionate about uh, educating. Uh, and those are the people that you gain the most from. And I think your passion for not just Murakami, but just like literature in general is absolutely infectious. Uh, and I think it'd be really easy for a young person to listen to you talk about your history of the reading and feel the authentic love of literature. And I think that goes pretty far in getting people to actually start reading. Uh, I know for me, I didn't really have that growing up, so I was never a big reader. But then in like adulthood, I've definitely discovered a lot more, I mean, People on here might already know I'm a huge professional wrestling fan. I've gotten really into reading professional wrestling nonfiction books. So like historical books about like the fifties in wrestling and also autobiographies, hearing first person uh, experiences in the world of wrestling. I think literature definitely brings that, that, that world and allows you to immerse in it. Like you said. Absolutely. And you know, and it's not just for young people that, you know, we have distractions fighting for our time uh, throughout the day. And, um, you know, I think that's, it's, that's really great that, you know, you're able to delve into, you know, literature about the history of wrestling. You're able to delve into firsthand accounts of autobiographies and biographies of, you know, current and former wrestlers. I mean, that, you know, any given topic, there is such a wealth of knowledge in books. Uh, in backgrounds. And, and I think even as an adult, I've had a hard time after school to come around to reading for pleasure again. And it really has only been in the last six, seven years that I found the love for it again. Um, and it's just all about, you know, what interests you and, you know, what do you want to learn more about? And, you know, who can you learn those things from? Who, are the people in which, you know, who are the, the, the people that are masters of the topic that you're interested in? 
And I think that's, that's awesome. So that's really cool to hear that, you know, you found that and you found, you know, different avenues of wrestling to enjoy. And I'm sure that only enriches your experience watching wrestling a lot more, right? Absolutely. And I mean, sometimes I'll even prefer that over like watching current wrestling. Uh, Cause, and, and the other thing with books that'll, uh, they'll always trump like movies or TV shows or documentaries. A book can really delve so much deeper into the story, into the background. Whereas unless maybe, maybe um, one of those, what's his name? Ken Burns documentaries that are 18 hours long. You might be able to get one book worth of information at Ken Burns documentary. That's really the exception, not the rule. Um, there's so much knowledge you can put in a book. And the other thing is a book you do in your own time. You finish at your own pace. Like I'm a slower reader. Uh, so one thing I like about books is that I can read a chapter and be like, okay, I'm done for the day. Like there, there's no, I think in, uh, in our society, there's this binge culture where we want to finish as much as possible. Um, but I don't think there's that aspect in books, at least not for me. And I think it allows for a deeper relationship. So I definitely think, and then your whole pace on Murakami novels, how you're not going to rush through it. You want to experience it. You want it to go at your own pace. I think it's really exciting. And I think you'll gain so much more from it through that pace. And I'm sure you've already gained a lot from it in the eight novels you've read. Absolutely. And it had, it had been always hard for me to kind of divert from like that kind of one track mind of like, all right, I'm going to crank out all 20 some of his books. And that, you know, wasn't realistic because I wasn't enjoying it if I was going to go about it that way. And I think with kind of interweaving different books and different things at a time, and I'll say one of the best things that have ever happened to me is getting a Kindle um, and syncing it to the library. And this will be a plug for, you know, public libraries across the country, but you know, you can get an e-reader, iPad, Libby app, um, the overdrive app on any iOS or Android device and sync it up to a library card and you can put in holds and, uh, you know, reserve copies for so many thousands of digital copies of books. And it's just such a great, free resource that people I think do not use enough. And I think it's just such a great thing to have available, you know, in our city, in our community. Um, and so that's just, that's just been a really great thing. I've, you know, as an aside, I've really enjoyed um, recently. No, absolutely. I think it is important on this medium where hopefully we do have people listening. Um, Usually, usually if there's a public person being interviewed, we always say, what do you want to plug? I think you as not necessarily a public person, really plugging the resources that people should be using. And again, I think the public library is drastically underutilized, like you said. Um, so I think it's good to, to kind of tell people like you don't, especially again, recording in the pandemic times, it's hard to go out and actually Good visit, visit a physical library, but you can do it for sa from the safety of your own, of your own home, and you have all the word of world of all these books at your fingertips. Um, I think it's good to kind of highlight to people that they should be reaching out to that if that's something that they're trying to seek. 
Yeah. And it's, it's so easy to do. And, you know, I know that people have different preferred styles of reading people, you know, audiobooks, they have audiobooks, they have digital copies, they have comics, they have graphic novels, they have, um, you know, movies, TV shows. I mean, it, it, it is truly a great resource that I cannot, cannot, cannot hype enough. Uh, I'm just so pumped about it. <laughs> I mean, even new releases. Um, yeah, so I, I've really taken advantage of that in uh, the last several years. So, Well, that's good. And I think as we kind of wind down here, that's a good kind of message to kind of end on is um, there might appear to be barriers to your access, um, but there's always ways around it. And I say actually reach out and try to find ways around barriers. Like if you, if you can't leave the house, there's ways to access all this stuff. Um, or if there's not a library near you, if you're in a rural area, um, there's always that access with the internet. I mean, this conversation right now is happening over zoom. Uh, many years ago, this would, the, the, we'd never be able to, to do this. So I think as the, the world kind of develops, there's so many more resources and especially in literature, definitely seek out everything that is out there. Um, so again, we're, we ended with a plug for the public library system. Um, is there any way that you want people to contact you? Uh, would you rather everyone just stay away from you and just experience this podcast? I mean, if anyone was ever to ask any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer. Um, Jeremy, what did you feel comfortable if I left my email with you and you could include it at the end of the podcast? Uh, sure, you could do that. Or what I could do is if you're interested in anything, you can uh, feel free to email me. Um, you can reach me at jeremy at whatdoyoulikepodcast.com. And then I could forward it on to Tom, just so if there's some weirdos out there, they're not getting your email address and sending you weird stuff. But those that are really interested, maybe they want to learn more about Murakami, where they can find his books. Um, definitely feel free to reach out to me and I can definitely forward everything on to Tom. Yeah. Um, and uh, one thing that I've certainly appreciated uh, over the several years in reading his books um, has been collecting them on eBay. Um, finding first editions, if I could, uh, first editions in English. Um, and some of them, especially his earlier works, are worth a lot more than I might be willing to pay at the moment. Um, but I, you know, do take it as a kind of side hobby to collect his work um, in paperback form because that's something that I like to have on my shelf. And I think that's something that I like to look back fondly at and say, oh, I really enjoyed my time reading that one. And I really enjoyed my time, um, you know, looking forward to reading, um, you know, Kafka on the Shore or his uh, memoir about running marathons. And so I think um, it gives a good, a good idea about where I've been and where, and a good idea about where I'm going. Uh, so. Gotcha. And it's always amazing to have that reminder of both where you, where you've come from and how you've grown. And then also looking forward to the future and seeing like, I still have so much left to do. Um, the thing is always a great reminder as we go through life. Um, but again, I want to thank you, Tom, for spending the time with us, um, sharing your knowledge about something. I know I joked at the beginning of the podcast, everyone knows, but I'm sure many of the people on here had never heard of Murakami. 
but definitely after listening to the conversation and, and hearing you, you speak so fondly of him, he's something that I think I will check out. Um, and maybe again, like I mentioned, once you completed this in 10, 15, 20 years, if I'm still doing this podcast, um, hopefully we'll have millions of listeners at that point. We'll have you back on. We can go through your entire journey with Murakami. Um, but again, thank you for your time. Um, and then anyone out there, I mentioned you can reach out to me. Um, you can email me at jeremy at what do you like podcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram at, at what do you like podcast. Um, and then Twitter, you can reach out at w d y l podcast um, on Twitter. Um, again, thank you, Tom, and everyone else uh, listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.